Arlington police say protests Monday remain generally peaceful, but say there were, quote, several agitators. Send me another unit, please. Send me another unit. This is a movement, I'm telling you. They're not going to stop. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. All right, welcome back to Into the Fray. Don't split the country. Don't split the country. Don't split the country. Maybe I should emphasize that a little bit more. Don't split the country. We have influencers on both sides calling for this now. I don't think there's much political will to go through with it at the moment, but the idea is gaining momentum and has existential consequences. We have to choose to abandon this idea before it gains enough traction to destroy us. Among others on the right, Matt Walsh has become a big proponent of the idea. And while I largely agree with him on politics generally, I think he's got this one entirely wrong. I understand the sentiment, the desire to break away and be left alone, to separate from this madness but it won't turn out the way they're hoping. I'm not sure Tim Pool is actually advocating for it, but I get the impression he thinks it's inevitable. Now, Sarah Silverman, someone influential on the hard left, has come out in favor of this national divorce idea as well. I mean, this may be a negative thought, but or maybe a positive one, I don't know, but if people aren't getting along, uh, like in relationship, they break up, you know? So, like, why don't we just finally just... Realize that this, these states aren't working and like divide up into like two or three countries of like USA one and USA two. And they can be USA one. Like the conservatives can be USA one because they love being number one and that it means something to them. And I'd love to have that be theirs. They can be USA one, we'll be USA two, and we'll be allies. And you'll come over here and we'll go over there. And, you know, when you come to certain many times when you go to a different country, you have to get a vaccine. That's it. I'm going to come back to that clip. If you take the inverse of everything she just said, you have a pretty good picture of what would almost certainly happen. First, though, what would the borders of a national divorce look like? If you don't understand what the borders look like, then you don't understand the implications of the whole scenario. Take a look at a voting history map of the U.S. by county. The left has a solid hold on the West Coast. The western half of Washington State, the western third of Oregon, and a sliver of California's coastline from San Francisco on down. They have a pretty good hold on all of New England, except New Hampshire. That block extends down to North Carolina and west to Pennsylvania. They have New Mexico... They have a very small part of the geography of Colorado, but it may be enough to control the state. They have controlling interest in Nevada, but that really only speaks to the Las Vegas area. And they have a pretty good hold just west of the Great Lakes, Minnesota, Michigan, Illinois. And they have Hawaii. Everything else is red. The east halves of Washington State and Oregon have already declared their desire to break off and join Idaho. Northern California and Southern Oregon want to break off respectively and together create the state of Jefferson. So, the left's holdings in California would be a sliver of the Pacific coast from San Francisco to the Mexican border. Because, if we're gonna split, 
Basically, all of Central and Eastern California is certain to join either Jefferson or Arizona. By the way, the state of Jefferson? Simplify this. Make it palatable. Jefferson. The state of Jefferson is a mouthful. Just Jefferson. So, the left would have almost no holdings remaining in the far west. Nevada's a toss-up. Las Vegas controls the state, but if we're talking about splitting, the rest of the state is very red. If they decided to West Virginia this thing, that would leave Las Vegas tiny and isolated. Then New Mexico, possibly Colorado, they'd be isolated in the southwest. Again, though, if we're talking about splitting, most of Colorado is red, and it's surrounded by very red states. They'd have a pretty good chunk of land with Minnesota, Michigan, and Illinois. And they'd have a solid country in New England, all the way down to North Carolina. And, of course, Hawaii. So they'd have New England, the general Michigan area, New Mexico, a small holding in the Cascades, and a sliver down the central and southern California coastline. And Hawaii. Meanwhile, the right would control Alaska, northern California, eastern Oregon and Washington, all the way through east to the Dakotas, all of the Midwest, all of the South, and probably most of the southern Great Lakes area from West Virginia over to Indiana. Notice that, except for Alaska... That's contiguous territory. Except New England, the left would be relegated to a few small, scattered, isolated pockets. The red states would also control basically all of the natural resources and production in America. Now, before we get into the glaring implications that presents, let's acknowledge that consumers cannot survive without producers. The left's policies place a massive burden on producers to support their short-sighted programs. Their system requires a large base of producers to squeeze. They wouldn't have it, and their programs would collapse. Not to mention that once their economy inevitably depressed, lacking sufficient producers to support their spending, they'd lose even more people to economic migration into red states. This would annihilate the left's power base, and necessarily would lead to checkpoints and fences to keep their people in. In the cut from earlier, Sarah Silverman was of the opinion that red and blue would be allies, and we'd travel back and forth to visit each other. That's wishful thinking. Ultimately, the idea of peaceful divorce is foolish, because the powerful elites on the left don't want it. The left doesn't want to be left alone. They want to rule over all of us. The elites on the left want power and control, and the plebs on the left want funding for the programs that take care of them. It's tough to consolidate much power or fund social programs when you only have a handful of subjects left and you keep bleeding them across the border. If we did divorce, in short order, the left would begin trying to conquer territory held by the right. They'd probably start off with a Sudetenland-type argument that Northern California and Eastern Washington and Oregon really belong to them. New Hampshire would be in a tough spot too, surrounded on all sides by the left. The war probably wouldn't last long, but it would leave the right with a no-win endgame. Option 1, fight them back to their borders and stop. If option 1 was selected, it would only be a matter of time before the left regrouped, whipped themselves into another expansion fervor, citing their rights to land and their right to govern, and we'd be at it all over again. These are common tropes in conflict throughout history. Option 1 more or less guarantees perpetual war. Option 2, the right defeats and occupies them. Well, That's a setup for another Afghanistan-type situation. The right would be dealing with a constant and never-ending insurgency problem. 
And I haven't even addressed the internal violence the right would experience by the leftists remaining in red states. Georgia, Ohio, Indiana, Montana, Colorado, if it didn't separate, and other places with heavy pockets of blue would see their own internal violence. Don't forget, even in red states, the major cities tend to be deep blue. Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, Austin, St. Louis, New Orleans, Boise, Salt Lake City, Phoenix, Atlanta. Should I keep going? Through all of this, we also can't get tunnel vision and only see North America. We get into a civil war, there's no way China and Russia don't capitalize on that opportunity. China hits the West Coast, Russia hits the East Coast, and now America's fighting on several civil fronts, the Russian front, and the Chinese front. I don't see that going well for any of us. No, there's no peaceful divorce. It would be a messy, violent divorce that would never really end, unless we were conquered by Russia and China. I'm not saying the divorce scenario won't happen, but we certainly shouldn't be rooting for it. Now, what's the alternative? I have to let you know up front that I've buried the lead on this one. There's a bit of groundwork that has to be laid before we can get there. First, there seems to be this misconception that a people can live wickedly and peacefully simultaneously. It can't be done. There are only two directions to turn. Turn to God, and he teaches to love your neighbor and govern yourself. Turn to the devil, and he teaches to love yourself and govern your neighbor. The latter option always, always leads to violence. The dichotomy between Americans is growing more stark by the minute. On the one hand, America has been generous beyond measure. Glenn Beck's audience raised over $30 million in less than a week to help rescue fellow Americans and Middle Eastern Christians from Afghanistan. Veterans went to Afghanistan without government support, without backup, to help get their friends out of the country. Whenever there's a major natural disaster anywhere in the world, America is there to help. Americans fight every day to expose corruption, to end our holocaust of babies, to overturn crooked laws and court rulings, or to take their neighbor to the doctor or the grocery store. On the other hand, America kills upwards of a million babies a year. Children sacrifice to the gods of career, lifestyle, and in some cases now, even attention for having performed the evil deed. America worships at the altars of entertainment, celebrity, convenience, comfort, and self-indulgence. Everywhere you turn, you can see people trampling over other people to get ahead. In their careers, socially, online, in dating, everywhere. There is a selfish focus that permeates and pervades American culture. Americans are out in the street attacking and beating people who disagree with them. They disrupt business, vandalize, terrorize, burn, loot, and yes, even murder in the name of their ideology. America was great because her people built her into greatness. Slowly and not without fault, but it was a positive trajectory. Now, her greatness is collapsing, and rapidly, because her people have abandoned what made her great. Trust in God, respect for life, and a drive to produce and build. There's another misconception that there is some system of government out there that will make people good, or at least that will make people live peacefully in their wickedness. There isn't. We are creatures of free will, and nothing will ever change that. You cannot make people good. It's a choice each individual makes. No amount of coercion or legislation will make people good. If a people chooses good, they can live free. If they choose evil, they will quickly corrupt themselves into bondage. 
You can't choose evil and live free any more than you can stand in a bucket and pick yourself up by the handle. It's against the laws of nature. The purest form of government is self-government, true self-government where the individual chooses to do what's right of their own accord. As a functional system, it's a pipe dream. There will always be people with ill intent, but it is the ideal that each of us should be striving for in ourselves. Short of that is representative self-government, a republic, as the founders gave us. It defends against the worst abuses of power common to authoritarian systems by spreading out power so thinly that no one person or group can overthrow the rest. This system, by admission of its authors, can only be successful if a critical mass of the populace are capable of that individual self-government, which is only possible through faith in God and adherence to his moral framework. The founders didn't make a mistake. This isn't a failure on their part. It's not that they gave us a system that relies on a critical mass of virtue in the populace because they weren't bright enough to give us something more effective. There's nothing more effective. A people who reject virtue cannot live free or peacefully. It's not a failure of the system. It's an immutable reality. Here's a simple, quick self-check. If you don't bother putting the shopping cart back in the stall when you're done, you're failing to self-govern and you're failing to live up to God's moral framework. Think about that. And we don't have to be perfect and we don't have to get every single person to live up to the necessary standard. If a critical mass of a nation exercises sufficient self-government, minimal restraints are required to rein in the rest. But you can't be both wicked and free. If there's no such critical mass of virtuous, self-governing citizens, then the republic will fail, and it will be replaced by authoritarian rule. In the annals of imperial Rome, Tacitus proclaimed, the more corrupt the state, the more voluminous the laws. When the people are corrupt, two things happen. They refuse to govern themselves, and so they will be governed. Remember, nature abhors a vacuum. And their governors will use the opportunity to consolidate power. It's the nature of power. In an authoritarian system of government, dictatorship, monarchy, Marxism, it doesn't matter. There are no mechanisms for limiting power. And challenges elicit harsher exercises of power. Despite the evidences of all of recorded history, people still seem to labor under the delusion that they can persist in corruption. Every civilization in recorded history has eventually corrupted itself, and then was destroyed. They first crumbled from the inside, then were crushed from the outside. If people refuse to govern themselves, they will be governed, one way or another. The answer, and now we're finally getting to the buried lead, is to go back to the constitutional model where states govern themselves and don't use the feds to force their will on everyone else. That was the point from the beginning. The states govern themselves. The federal government represents the states to the outside world, arbitrates disputes between states, and provides a general framework of cohesion that allows the states to interact and collaborate on a level playing field. You have to have a level playing field. You can't have more powerful states taking advantage of, subjecting, or suppressing weaker states. The framers would be horrified to see their system corrupted and used by some groups to control others. Horrified, but admittedly, probably not surprised. But if California wants to be what California has become, they're welcome to it. They'll destroy themselves, but that's on them. They're not welcome to push it on anyone else.
The blue states are welcome to corrupt themselves into oblivion, but they're not welcome to export that corruption, certainly not through the power of the federal government. States that govern wisely will succeed, and states that corrupt themselves will eventually collapse. Those are the options. Corruption breeds collapse. There's no escaping that. In time, the dichotomy between states that choose wisely and those that corrupt themselves becomes clearly evident, and after things get bad enough to convince people to stop and reevaluate, that dichotomy gives the wayward states an opportunity to recognize where they've gone wrong and change. If they refuse, they'll destroy themselves entirely, or something will destroy them. The Civil War era South had a point when they argued states' rights. The states should be governing themselves. Their internal business shouldn't be dictated by the federal government. What they failed to recognize is that you cannot persist in evil. Self-government can only endure as a people make good choices. Self-government has two outcomes, liberty or self-destruction. There's plenty of room for mistakes, provided those mistakes are corrected, but there is no room to persist in evil. Corruption invariably leads to destruction. Ironically, as was the case in the Civil War South, the destruction is typically self-inflicted, had South Carolina not attacked Fort Sumter, it's unlikely the North would have instigated any martial intervention. Slavery would have died, one way or another, but the bloodshed was not inevitable. Keep that in mind. As we watch the left degrade itself, watch for the moment they instigate the mechanism of their own demise. If they refuse to change, it's inevitable. It's possible, maybe even probable, Holding the Union together and returning to the tenets of the Constitution is too tall an order. It may be too much to ask, but it's the only option we have for maintaining peace. If the federal government is allowed to continue the way it is, there will be violence the moment the left finds they won't get what they want any other way. If the red states stand their ground and refuse to capitulate to the left's corrupt demands, and the left refuses to relent on their corrupt demands, Eventually, there will be war. There's some ifs in there, though. Willfully dividing ourselves is a sure path to war. It's the nature of power. Consolidated power invariably invites war. The left consolidates power wherever they go. Currently, they're checked by the bare critical mass of states that don't. Make them their own country, remove that check, and full authoritarianism will take those regions and they will inevitably lead to war. When someone wants something and they're not getting it, if they're unwilling to relent, eventually, their only recourse becomes physical violence. Don't split the country. Mom and dad choose to stay together and work things out for the kids. If they give up, the kids suffer. If they choose to work it out, if they choose to do what it takes to put their relationship back together, things work out. The states must choose to stay together for the sake of continued existence. If we give up, millions die, and Russia and China probably take us and divide the spoils. We have to work this out. We have to at least try. If we fail, we fail honorably. If we give up, we willfully invite disaster. Before I go, you can always find this podcast at www.intothefraypodcast.com and on Twitter at Real Into the Fray. If you want to support the show, you can go to IntoTheFrayPodcast.com and click one of the links under Support the Show. 
I've had a couple of people suggest I launch some merch. If there's enough demand, I'll do it. Let me know on Twitter, again, at RealIntoTheFray, or you can email the show at RealIntoTheFray at gmail.com. Well, that's it for this one. Till next time, be informed, stay safe, don't do anything stupid. Thank you.